dude. <laughs> was that recorded? Yeah, that's recorded. That's definitely our intro. <laughs> Five, four, three, two. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting episode of I Don't Know History. My name's Alex, I'm your resident historian, I'm here with RJ. Hi. Who's very enthusiastic to be here today. <laughs> and then all Hi, about... uh, my name's RJ, I don't know very much about history, but I hope that you date me anyway. Please don't actually date me, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> RJ likes thin crust pizza exclusively. Yes, I don't like deep crust. If you're going to buy me a pizza, please buy me thin crust, and... because deep pan is for... You know what? I'm going to say it. Nazis. Wow. This is a history podcast. Wow. If you want to le- learn more about the Nazis, listen to episode one, season one, episode one of Anime History, available on all good podcasting platforms, platforms. such as podmage.com. I don't know history kind of brought casting. to you by podmage.com, a different kind of casting. We really need to stop plugging every minute into a podcast. We absolutely do not. Anyway, today, RJ, we're going to continue on the train that we were on, which was ancient Greece. Well, back then it would be horse and cart, not train, but I get your metaphor. I didn't even know if they'd have carts. Just horses. They Would would they have horses? Horses came from, like, the Russian steppe. So I don't so know. Pro- I don't know if the Greeks even had horses. They might have just had... Llamas? Men. Alpacas? I don't know. What do you get in that? No, probably armies and armies of slaves to pull their, to pull their carts. Remember I told you about slavery? Well, that's dis- anyway. <laughs> that's depressing. So last episode, we focused in on the first period of... Um, ancient Greece, which is referred to as Archaic Greece. Yes. And today we're going to look at Classical Greece, up to, and not including, Alexander the Great and his forebears. Um, after that, the whole kind of Greek culture becomes a little different, and I feel like that should be its own episode, so cool. we might do that. Thank you once again, James Lenane, for suggesting this topic. If you want to suggest a topic for, I don't know, history... Uh, just send us a tweet at PodMage uh, with the hashtag IDKHistory um, and just tell us what you want. But yes. also make sure that it's not an episode we have done before because this is our second season. Please do all those things that I just said. Love you. So, do you remember when the archaic period of Greece ended, RJ? Um, 420 BC. Um... No. I was making a joke. 69 BC. No, it was much earlier than 690 that. 690 BC. That's closer. <laughs> That's closer, at least. Is it 700 BC? No, it's like sort of, uh, well, like 500 and something BC. Oh, dang it. I'd be awful on the prices, right? <laughs> Maybe. So anyway, this period of uh, classical Greece history is dominated by the annexation of large parts of Greece by the Persian Empire. Mm-hmm. And its later independence. Also, in it are several different. There's, there's wars between different uh, Greek states. There's hegemonies. Do you know what hegemony is? It sounds like a new astrology sign. It is not. <laughs> and, really? <laughs> and hegemony is. Um, say. I'm going to say something of twos. Because no, I'm just hearing Gemini. You're still wrong. Dang it! Imagine if in America. Texas was a state while everyone else was a state, but Texas basically controlled everything. Oh, right. That would be a Texan hegemony. Ah. Okay, cool. So, um, this is the part of uh, Greek history where you start to see many parts of modern Western civilization. 
So like politics and artistry and science and theatre and literature and philosophy, it's when like Xenophon and people lived. And no, I'm not sure about Plato. But uh, it was mostly studied from an Athenian perspective. And that is because um, in Athens there were much more writings going on. Um, more narrative and fictional accounts of the era than any other of the Greek city-states. Can you name another Greek city-state? Olympus. No. Olympus is a mountain in Athens. Olympia? No. Oh my god, what? We... No. I'm just going to give up. Do you remember the one that's named after a company that has a big catalogue? Argos. Argos. (laughs) Argos, Corinth, uh, Thebes... Oh, why didn't I think about Thebes? It's in Hercules. It's idiot Thebes! That's what Danny DeVito says, isn't it? Or Phil from Hercules. Hercules, That's where they go. That's where Hercules fights the Hydra. (sighs) So disappointed in myself. Sparta as well? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Yes. So classical Greece starts circa 500 BC. Cool. Um, So it's difficult to say, but it could be uh, 508 BC, which was the fall of the last Athenian tyrant. Yes. And Cleisthenes reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be 500 BC at the Ionian Revolt, or 492 BC, which is the first Persian invasion of Greece. So, as I said last time, when it's so far back in history, it's difficult to give exact dates. At, the more the classical period goes on, the more historians can give exact dates because there was such a lot of writings about it. But this far back, it is quite it's, it's sketchy when. When the classical period of Greece really began, it was a, it's a slow process. It's not like this is why in school we were always taught to write the date at the top left hand, top mm-hmm. right hand corner of our no top left hand corner of our mm-hmm. books because in that way when disaster strikes the aliens know when sh- when stuff happens. The aliens, <laughs> yeah, because they'll know all about our calendars and stuff, won't they? Yeah, well they can figure it out. Like they, they'll out. they'll see our calendars. They'll, they'll we can put math together. Okay. Math is in- infinite. <laughs> it is. It that's is. RJ's quote. You are right. Tune math next, is infinite. Tune in next week to I Don't Know Math, where we'll uh, be looking... No, we won't. If we have um, any t-shirts, math is infinite. <laughs> so, other important events that happened during the classical period of Greece. Uh, the formation of the Delian League and the Athenian hegemony, uh, which led to the Peloponnesian War in 431 BC between Athens and Sparta, which we will get into in more detail later, and tensions and battles between city-states. So unlike the archaic period where cities were outside of trade and colonization, largely isolationist, there were very few wars between like Athens and its other city-states. Everyone just kind of got on with it. Yeah. They were too busy building up their own cities to really worry about what other people were doing. RJ, last time... Why do you do this to me every week? No, no, no. Last time there were two subjects about Greece that you were particularly... Well, one that you were particularly interested in and one that I think you probably would be particularly interested in. I'm not sure if you mentioned it. Um, one was coinage... Oh yes, I was. One, I had to cut out a whole ten-minute conversation about me ranting about money. Well, I'm gonna in last week's episode because some, it was long s- enough. Some more conversation about us talking about money, and one of them is homosexuality, which I thought you might be interested in. I don't yeah, know. I'm, cool. I'm, I, as a as a bisexual non-binary person, I'm all about learning about Amazing. that. Amazing. So I've done a whole page for you on homosexuality in ancient Greece because it is also interesting, and it's also. Where sort of where people think homosexuality started, it's not. It's, it, 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 it obviously isn't, but it's just um, the first. It's like, not pop music. It's it's not like it's the first written account of 
homosexual dudes relationships. doing obviously, dudes. Obviously, it almost definitely happened in everywhere. Anyway. So all the time. Th- now this this might weird you out. Now you've just got to think about this from the a fifth century or fourth century perspective. Okay. The most widespread form of homosexuality was between adult men and adolescent boys. Oh no! And it was called the pederasty. Oh, bloody course it was. Well, no, that's what you got to think. It's it's not named Pedi after anything. Is like child. Pediatrician, not pediatrician. Pediatrician. Yeah, that's not... And, you know, pedophile and all that kind of stuff. But those words are named for for this, you know? What? This is Greek. This is where all language starts, basically. Or that pedi thing... Pedo is is, is to do... It's something to do with children. Yes, it's the prefix to do with children, yeah. Yeah, okay. So the way I thought you meant then, this this is where that word, the other words come from. I was like, we're basing it on Greeks sleeping with children. No, no. Uh, You've just got to be patient. I know it's it's outlandish and kind of like shocking to hear in today's stupid in, to, in today's view. But you've just got to think of it as like you know, two and a half thousand years. I'm ago. not going to be okay with people sleeping with children, no matter the the century. Okay, well, sexual relationships between adult males did exist, but um, it wasn't to do with your gender. That wasn't what was frowned upon. It was to do with. Um, the taking of a passive role. Oh. So, right. Okay. Greeks did not perceive sexuality as a social identifier. Sexual mm-hmm. behavior was not classified by gender, but by the by the role taken in the act. So, the active role was associated with masculinity and adulthood, and the so passive role, bottom. yeah, if you like, <laughs> was um, associated with femininity and youth. Yes. Now, um, interestingly, in this particular, we still have that in our culture now. In this, uh, yeah, in this particular situation, uh, a what you were referred to as a man when you could grow a full beard. <laughs> so I would have been what fourteen. I would have been a man when I was twelve. Oh, blimey! <laughs> well, thirteen probably. Yeah, I remember being in year eight and starting to <clears throat> proper pro- have to definitely have to shave mm-hmm. because the beard was there. So boys conventionally. Had to be at least 12 years old to enter into a relationship. Um, we have no uh, proper written laws yeah. about this, um, but it, w- it was considered improper to enter into a relationship with a younger boy. Uh, it was not, it wasn't driven, this is the nice bit, kind of. It wasn't <laughs> driven solely by lust and raw sexuality. It wasn't, uh, like, an adult would teach and mentor the boy and, like, play an educational role. Um, and it was, in fact, socially appropriate for a boy to um, with, withhold himself before giving in to the older man's um, advances, which was uh, to in- ensure the adult suitor was not interested in him solely for sexual purpose, but had genuine emotional affection for him and wanted to assume his, ment- his mentor role. This is icking me, man. It's just icking me. Eh? Yeah, I get oh. it. Obviously, men had wives I, I as well. Get, I get oh, it. Ugh. Relationships okay. were not based on age. This is in figures of speech, men and maidens in ancient Greece. I've forgotten to write down the author. I'm so sorry. Relationships were not based on age, but consent. Certainly, in Athenian law, that was what regulated sexual behavior and activity. If someone didn't. If a boy was like, "Nah, you, you're an ugly old man," the man would just have to be like, "Sucks to be me." Okay, so have to find somebody else. It it wasn't just like you're my boy now, and that's all you can do about it. And the boy was like, "Okay." It was it was consensual. 
It's just weird because they're 13 years old. Yeah, I can't. I don't. Uh, can't really, if you can, I, you just got to try and get past that because yeah, it's the fourth century. Get past it's the fifth it, century but I'm BC. not going to be sat here like it's the fifth century. I'm okay with it. Like, fifth, I not can't. just the fifth century. The fifth century BC. Yes. It's just interesting to think about the way they thought about homosexuality in general. I do like I think that is a great thing that is is one thing that we are missing now. It is it, we have such a focus on 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 gender in general. Like mm-hmm. over the past few years we've had said like in my case I'm non-binary and I've only really realized that recently mm-hmm. which um I mean, society, it's still a very taboo thing. It's like, mm. oh, millennials or blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you can clearly see throughout history well, people not caring. So, like, as I mentioned last week, the whole Native American thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, It's one of those things where it's just like, I appreciate that. I'm grateful for it being more forward thinking. I, I can't criticize this that much mm-hmm. because... The role pedophilia has throughout history is there as a constant. Yeah. Uh, throughout most centuries uh-huh. prior to, I don't even, I can't even give you an actual century where it was like, maybe let's not fuck kids. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't give you Gee. that, but it is. Up, say the words, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on to a more positive subject. Yes. Coinage. Coinage. Something you enjoyed as well. <laughs> I like how you came to me like, "Oh, you're gonna be happy. It's about the gays." Well, it's gonna it's be like, "Oh, it's, gonna, it's about fucking." It's gonna gays. be interesting, at least. Uh. It's not. <laughs> I've made a horrible error of judgment. <laughs> so, coinage in um, Greece generally was uh, on something called the Attic Standard, which yeah. is named for Attica, the region that surrounded Athens. Yes, there were three measurements, one of which was used until. Like 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drachma, which you may have heard of, Greek drachma. Take a shot, everyone. It sounds like Game of Thrones. Tom mentioned, he's uh, a friend of ours, Tom, started listening to the show and mm-hmm. said that we keep saying, <laughs> I keep, uh, it's a, it's a, um, it's a trope of the show. What, what's the thing? It's like a catchphrase of the show. Yeah. Ooh, that uh, sounds like Game of Thrones. That sounds like Game of Thrones, as well as RJ Forgets. There's, there's two constants at this show. Two constants, yes. So, three measurements of weight and standard silver. Yes. So the drachma, which was which was Greek currency before they adopted the euro, 4.3 grams of silver, right? The obol, which was 0.72 grams, which if your maths is very good, which I don't, I don't think it is, Ajay, no offence. Because <laughs> you just said you couldn't do I maths. I can't do that. <laughs> uh, which makes six obols, makes one drachma. And the Tetatemorian, which is 0.18 grams, which is four obols, so 24 of those is one drachma. These are the three standard measurements of silver. Um, the, the 13... There's a lot of 6s, 12s, and 24s within that, then, the so I'm guessing. System. Oh, okay. I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it, was, it was more based on... So an obol is a, is a spit, like a something you would roast someone on, but like a... It's just like a piece of metal, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it suggests that in prehistoric times, spits were used as, as measures in daily transactions. You probably find at some point someone went, um, I need that much, that much silver. And like, it just happened. To yeah. A, a drachm, or multiple drachma, means a handful. So it's like a handful of these, these, these measurements of weight. 
Okay. Uh, in Sparta, coinage was forbidden, and iron ingots were used to discourage avarice and hoarding of wealth. You know avarice? No. Greed. Oh. Because iron ingots were heavy and took up space, <laughs> people didn't want that many. So they were like, oh, I'll just have like five, that's fine. <laughs> Instead of having a bags and bags and bags of coins, which were little. Oh, like, well, not a perfect example, but so like I would rather have notes in my wallet than too many one pound coins. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. They'd rather have a bag of coins than a sack of iron ingots that weighs yeah. five tons, you know what I mean? Here's all my money, I'm so rich. You know? To the bank, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in Athens, iron and other heavier metals were abandoned as currency, as coinage over more precious metals. So initially, coins were made from a, uh, a substance called electrum. Electrum? Yeah. Electrum is a naturally occurring alloy of gold and silver. Electrum sounds like a very good name for a band. It was named after the Greek period. I don't think it was called. I don't don't think it was called. Elect- it might have been called electrum at this time. Actually, it sounds like quite quite a Greek word. Um, the first discovery of electrum usage was in circa three thousand BC in uh, old Egypt. Yes, used to uh, it's like the, on tops of pyramids and stuff like that. Uh, in Greece, electrum coins have been dated as far back as six twenty five BC or thereabouts. Um, it was theorized, right, that coins were originally used to pay mercenary groups who could not lug around large amounts of iron or other materials, but also needed the weight of the coinage to be authenticated so it could be used in other city-states. Oh. So rather than, you know, rather than just a piece of gold and be like, this is six grams of gold, and having someone have to weigh it and blah, 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 they could just be like, oh, this is a, this is a one drachma coin from Athens, I know how much this is worth. You know, and also, um, you know, prior to that, you probably find that people were trading goods rather than in coins. Yeah, mercenaries were like, look, I can't, can't lug all this wheat over to Corinth because Corinth is far away. <laughs> there is one thing that I'd like to, I'd, I'd, I'd want to know as well. Uh, it's another one of those things where you're going to look at me and go, why, why? It's obvious, isn't it? And I'm going to be like, it's not though. Um, is just transfer, the transfer of money. Like, what specifically makes a pound equal 1.18 of a euro? Like, what? What it? What is that based on? Is it? Well, I'm not sure what it's based on currently because I'm not. I didn't study economics, unfortunately. But originally, it was based on the gold standard. Yeah. It was based on how much. How much gold one pound could buy. What with it in that region, or yeah. like, because that's the thing that confuses me. It it I'm just left there like, because gold in different places would be like worth different things to the to that you've specific gotta, region. You've got to think of this because another... like some places don't have gold, mm. and it, it money doesn't make sense, Alex. You've got to think of it this doesn't <laughs> in a slightly theoretical manner, right? So in let's say in let's say in Britain. A pound is a pound, and in Euro- in Europe, a pound is one and a half euros, just for ease of yeah mathematics. Um, so originally, why that happens is that the 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 pound coin is bigger and heavier, and is made of more of a precious metal. Yes. In Europe, where the coinage is slightly different, that much makes like one and a half of that makes. You know, another one coin. 
or one one euro is worth is made of less precious metal than a pound coin. Originally, a coin was it was a, a weight, but it was minted in such a way that it was consistent, so you didn't have to actually weigh the weigh the metal and be t- or just take for granted that that oh yeah this this feels about five grams of copper. You yeah. know what I mean? You but- knew that it was printed on that. Later on, it ceased to mean that because the coin became associated with value rather than what it was made of. Yeah. So it became more of a, as it is today, like a promise, like. If a coin looks like this, it is worth that much because we have systems put in place now. Yeah. It just, it weirds me out because it, mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't make sense. It, real, realistically, you look at it and go, this makes sense for the system and how I can buy stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you look at it objectively by stepping back and you go, what are you, what is this? Yeah. And let's not, add, let's also add on top of that. Not gold isn't available everywhere in the world. So d- d- people who come from areas where gold isn't a thing, it's they're like we're going to measure this on the gold standard. You don't have gold, so you wouldn't have measured your stuff up to be gold. What have you got? Oh, you have copper. I don't know. This is <sighs> well. The Greeks used silver. In fact, they used silver. They, yeah, they used silver. Drachma was four point three grams of silver. And wait, what are we? Oh, we've got the Great British Pound, which is on on gold. Great British Pound sterling, I believe it might have been on the. Oh wait, so sterling silver then? If it's sterling, yeah. Okay. I think I know. I think that's d- different uses for the word sterling. What? Oh, for, I can't handle. My, move on. I can't handle this anymore. So an important figure we need to talk about in classical Greece is Cleisthenes. Do you remember I mentioned his name earlier? Yes. Reforms, right? So in 510 BC, with the aid of Cleomenes the first of Sparta. The Athenians overthrew their tyrant king, Hippias, and Cleisthenes took over as a new head of an oligarchy. Now, an oligarchy is... I explained this to you last time, but let me explain it to you again, because you're looking at... You're, you're giving me that look. <laughs> I was like, it's, oh, no. Uh, imagine a business wherein there are four people who assume the, the, the role of CEO. Yes. So it's a group It's a group of people who hold the same amount of power. Yeah. That's an oligarchy. Yeah, so it's just it's a it's a limited company divided like with twenty five percent shares over four people essentially, and they all they all have exactly the same. Role. Yeah, so yeah. none of them. But can two can if three people want to do something and one person doesn't agree with that, is it is it like that as well? I'm not one hundred percent sure about the the their voting rules. Okay, but um, that's fine. Probably. I just wanted to check because that's how limited companies work. Um, so uh, he obviously reformed several things. Do you remember Solon last time in Athens? We talked about him or Solon and his re- his reforms. I and do remember that because of uh, you said Solon and my brain is they went Calon, um, Calon land, Calon land. Such a patriotic man. So his <laughs> reforms were he established isonomic institutions, and basically what that means something that is isonomic means you, everyone is treated the same. So which had so it meant equal rights for all citizens. Now, at this point in Greek, Greek history, citizens, citizens meant adult males. Yes. But still. Um, also, isagoric institutions, which meant freedom of speech. Which is mm-hmm. one of the first instances of freedom of speech. He divided the city of Athens into demos, or dem- demes, which are which, around 130 of them. Demos comes from the word meaning people. So it's essentially constituencies. Think oh. of it as a modern constituency. Okay. Uh, the ecclesia still existed, uh, and it was headed by five hundred citizens, and the and they were chosen completely at random. <laughs> and it's your turn. Oh, yay! Okay. Uh, 
Uh, spin the roulette table, let's see. Basically, not me, yeah. not me, not me. <laughs> uh, administrative geography was also reworked, so they split the city into two, into, not two, into mixed political groups, right? So you were no longer federated by your interest or profession. So, for example, all the fishermen, all the farmers would all vote in a certain way based on what is helpful for them. You were split into areas, which, so then when you voted on things, it would be to it would, you would vote on things that were in the interest of your area rather than your profession he also split Athens and further Attica into Trites Trites T-R-I-T-T-Y-E-S Trites which were one or more of these demos mm-hmm. there were ten in the coastal region ten in the urban centre and ten in the rural interior um, so this allowed local representation as well and allowed government to act in the interest of geographical area rather than to a particular field like I just said. He also increased the number of tribes, which were powerful and influential upper-class families that kind of did all the ruling and stuff. Or had all the influence. From four to ten. So giving a new democratic power structure to Athens. So he's essentially trying to spread power around as much as he can. And create a real democracy. We started getting a bit uh, an example of democracy in archaic Greece, but Cleisthenes is like the father of, the father of Greek democracy. He also created Sortition which we've mentioned this just a second ago, it was a selection of political officials from a random sample. Yes. Which minimised factionalism. And so it wasn't like, oh, when I die, my son will be mayor of wherever. It was just picked picked out of a hat, basically. Yeah. It also gave a stronger mandate to elected officials. So if you went, if you, you know, if I am picked, it wasn't completely a random, people like stood. If you, if, if you pick me, I will do this. Rather than well, I'm I'm going to be the next. So mayor. it's like a standard election. Yeah, kind of I'm going to be the it's next like mayor because my dad was the mayor. So fuck you. You know what I mean? It's more like if you vote for me as mayor, I will do this. Would it be very much like how currently in the UK at the time of recording the whole Theresa May situation about how she's standing down and the Tories have to pick a new prime minister? So then that way everyone, people in the Tory party stand for it because mm-hmm. they are Tory MPs uh, and they are representative of the areas. Mm-hmm. But then people pick. Well, yes, it's well, like that, but not like the Tories. The way the Tories actually do it, because the only members of the Tory Party can. Yeah. Well, only. I'm only just like, giving it as only an like example. Important oh. Tory MPs can vote in that. Oh, not right, not right. actual members of the Conservative Party. But right, hey. Okay. So uh, something I mentioned earlier as well in the preamble that was very important in the classical period were the Persian Wars. Okay. Those bloody Persians. <laughs> Get off my lawn. They they come up. They come into this a lot. So there was a city called uh, a city state called Ionia in Western Turkey, which shared an easy land border with the Persian Empire. You just walk in, yes, and then you go across the Helen Post, which is like a little, a li- tiny little strait where you they had pontoon bridges, and then you're in Greece, basically. Um, Hi, Greece. Great cities such as Miletus and Halicarnassus came under the rule of Persia in 550 BC. These cities rose in revolt in 499 BC. This is called the Ionian Revolt. And several Greek city-states sent support. So in these cities, Persian rule saw tyrants installed as rulers of these Greek cities. Do you remember I talked to you about tyrants? Yes. Last time? Yes. Um, The Persians were commanded by Darius the Great, my namesake. It's my middle name. Oh. Uh, It was a short-fought revolt with Persia winning a decisive victory by 492. Um... 
and the which that then sparked the first Persian invasion of Greece proper. So it began with a naval assault in Attica and an attempt to take Athens. But having already conquered and subjugated the ancient nations of Macedonia and Thrace, which are Greece's close neighbours. It's a little, little bit of trivia for you. The Battle of Marathon in 490 BC. It showed the prowess of the Greek hoplite as a soldier. Remember I talked to you about Greek hoplites with their spears and their phalanx? Yeah. It was estimated that 11,000 Greeks defeated close to 130,000 Persians. Though these numbers are disputed. It's written by some people that about 100,000 of these were likely oarsmen and sailors kept in reserve of the main Persian force. Still, it's 11,000 Greeks versus 30,000 Persians. Which is still a pretty hefty advantage. Um... Now, i got to talk to you about Herodotus. Herodotus is a Greek scholar. Uh, I just don't know whether he, was, he has discalculus or he's enumerate. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so many times throughout this, I'll be like, Herodotus thought it was this many, but modern historians think it's like 48 times that. You know what I mean? So Herodotus numbered the casualties at 203 Greeks. That's it. To 6,500 Persians. Was the casualties. Though Pete Krantz, a modern historian, estimates that losses were closer to 3,000 Greeks and 5,000 Persians. Well. If you're interested in reading more of Peter Krantz's book, read The Battle of Marathon, 2010. Regardless of casualties, the Battle of Marathon spelled the end of the first Persian invasion. Fun fact. I've actually written fun fact. Fun fact. According <laughs> to legend, the Greek messenger Pheidippides ran from the battlefield in Marathon to Athens to announce the defeat of the Persians. How far do you think he ran? 500 miles? He ran about 25 miles. And hence the modern race became known as a marathon. Oh, that's good. I thought you were ready to make a pro- proclaimer's joke at me. No! I was like, did he run 500 more? Oh, it's like, uh. it, um, initially, marathons were 25 miles. Yeah. It, they, they went up to 26.2. The London Marathon is slightly longer because... <laughs> I, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but the London Marathon is slightly true, slightly longer because 26 miles is not doesn't run past like the Palace of Westminster or something like that, or wherever um, the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of not Cambridge, the, whatever her name is, Duchess of Cornwall, stand and like watch them as they run past. So they extended it by another 385 yards, just, <laughs> so, like they could mile, just so they could run past. So the so the Prince of Wales could be like, oh, there they are. Hey, there they are, Camilla. It's the Prince of Wales. And um, did you see what Donald Trump tweeted? What? He tweeted out it was um, something about meeting the Prince of Wales. With an H. With an H. What a dickhead. Yeah. Political bell. Ding, 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 ding. This is date, this podcast. Donald Trump is a wanker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if they've only just started listening, they certainly know now. But if you've been listening for a while, they already knew our opinion on on him. Yes. So in 480 BC, Darius the Great's son and successor, Xerxes I, launched another invasion of Greece, marching through and taking Thrace before falling on Thessaly and Boeotia. Now, have anyone seen 300? RJ, I don't think you've seen 300, have you? No. In three in the film Three Hundred, the great big eight foot tall bald guy with a bunch of piercings all over his body, that's supposedly Xerxes, the emperor of Persia. Okay, it's not what he looked like. At the, at the pass of Thermopylae, <laughs> the Spartans, the Spartan army, who had been absent during the first invasion, met the Persian force of three hundred thousand Persian soldiers. 
with as few as 7,000 Greek soldiers. Now, hit uh, uh, pops Herodotus again. <laughs> oh, here he comes. Now, he estimated the Persian force... you got to remember, Herodotus is Greek, so he's going to embellish things. Yes. He estimated the Persian force to be about 2.6 million men. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is just complete nonsense. I don't think the 2.6 people lived in Persia at that point. 2.6 <laughs> million people. Like, you know what I mean? Did he add one too many zeros? Maybe. Maybe. For seven days, the Greeks held off the Persians at the narrow pass of Thermopylae, led by the Spartan king Leonidas I. Or Jared, Leonidas! Or Jared Butler, if you've seen the film. No. We need to watch 300 as well. We have very different taste in movies. Oh, okay. 300's not. I don't think it's a, a fantastic film by any means, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, Greek forces were betrayed by a local called Ephialtes, yeah. who told the Persians about a mountain pass leading behind the Greek lines. And after this outflanking, Leonidas dismissed the rest of the Greek army to get back to Sparta and remained behind with the th- with 300 Spartans. That's, that's the 300 that the film 300 is talking about. It wasn't 300 Spartans against a million Persians. It was like, these 300 Spartans, they guarded the exit. But they were also accompanied by 700 thespians. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> from, from Thespia or Thebes, maybe? Why? I'm not sure. They weren't, call, they weren't actually called Thespians. Not actors. They weren't like actors or anything. They were just soldiers from a place that, that's, that's called Thespia or Thebes or whatever it was called. <laughs> to guard the retreat. So, upon their victory at Thermopylae, Xerxes' army captured and burned Athens, sad face, which fortunately had already been evacuated. And at the Battle of Artemisium, the Persians again won and captured Euboea. So, in 483, the war settled down, but eventually the Greeks turned the tide, defeating the Persians at Plataea and Mycale, Mycale. And then in 478, they captured Byzantium, which is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. Okay, so that's the, the, the second... What Second was Persian Istanbul invasion. called before? Constantinople. Before Constant- that, it was called Byzantium. Yeah. That, I, I know there's that song. That's, you don't call it Constantinople. Istanbul is not Constantinople. Oh, it was in the Umbrella Academy. I don't yeah. know. So after the Second Persian invasion of Greece, um, Athens wanted to safeguard themselves against potential future invasions. Uh, so they formed what's called the Delian League. It's called the Delian League because they're... Something like their mythical treasure or something was supposedly on the island of Delos, Delios, or something like that. So, the Delian League. It was formed amongst the island states and Athens. It was a protective and defensive league to challenge Persia in the future. Sparta, however, withdrew into isolation, which allowed Athens to dominate Greece, navally and commercially. So the tensions between Sparta and Athens, right, after this war. Which led to the Peloponnesian War. Now, the Peloponnesian Peninsula is the bottom bit of Spain. that has got both Athens and Sparta on it. Okay, it's the most um, most inhabited part of Greece today. Not did I say Spain? Yes, it's the bottom part of Greece, <laughs> which had Athens and Sparta like, on it. Why have we suddenly gone to Spain? <laughs> I was like, because I'm, I'm thinking I don't know of history. Let's see what happens. I'm thinking of Sparta, so I'm thinking Spain. Ah. Sorry. So a war between Athens and the Delian League. Sparta and Sparta and the opposing Peloponnesian League. That was the Peloponnesian War. 
So it was the Peloponnesian League was solely an instrument of imposing Spartan policy and dominance over the Peloponnese Peninsula. And also kind of like Athens had their own league, so Sparta wanted their league. It was very much like pride between Athens and Sparta at this point. Um, they lived. They had very different existences. Sparta was very Spartan, if you like, which is the yeah. word we use today. Very military, um, very severe with punishments and things like that. Athens was very um, economically sound and also kind of the front runners in everything else, culture and society and things like that. So you view it as like left wing or right wing as a broad brush kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. Spartan was a bit. Well, probably a bit more. Be a bit more conservative. Yeah, as you as you might think of it today. Um, before this war started, everyone could kind of see the war coming. A bit like World War One. Uh, watch season one of Final History. Listen, <laughs> or watch it. You just watch. Just watch the just watch the <laughs> waveform. So, in order to try and prevent a war happening, they signed a treaty called the Thirty Years' Peace, which is a treaty between these two major city states. It divided Greece formally into two major power zones: Athens and Sparta. However, war was inevitable because of their vastly conflicting interests. Yes. For example, uh, Athens became involved in a war between Corinth and Corcyra, whereas Sparta attempted to push a push through a peaceful settlement of the struggle, which is odd, because you'd think if any, either of those states was going to just come in and be like, well, we'll just have a big old war, it would be Sparta. Yeah. Um, and Athens placed economic sanctions on the people of Megaria, which can contravene the 30 years peace agreement. Yeah. Okay. These are just the official reasons. Yeah. That Sparta. Um, it's probably things. more. It was more to do with pride. Reasons. Yeah, you're exactly right. Just a rivalry and, and pride and stuff like that. So there were two stages to the Peloponnesian War. Between 431 and 421, there was much indecisive and inconclusive fighting. Um, Athens was besieged, but it didn't hold. There was also the battles of Napactus and Pylos, which were won by Athens. But then uh, Nicias, who was a moderate Athenian leader, came to power, and he concluded a peace, literally after ten years' fighting. Everyone thought, well, we, I, I would assume that everyone thought, oh, great, little little war that no one cares about is over. <laughs> However, oh. in 418 to 404 BC, the fighting started again. Now, oh. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go too, into too much detail <laughs> on the actual ins and outs of the war, but I do want to talk to you about um, Alcibiades. He was a native Athen- <laughs> he was an, a native Athenian, and he persuaded Athens to ally with Argos against Sparta. Now, after Sparta won several victories, Alcibiades betrayed Athens, went over to Sparta and became their chief advisor, encouraging them to build a proper navy to challenge Athens. But this guy's a bastard, clearly, of the highest order. He had a supposed affair with the wife of one of the two Spartan kings, because Sparta ruled with with dual kings to kind of make sure no, no not too much power was vested in either one. So before he was murdered or mur- executed, he fled to Persia, the old enemy of the Greeks. Then he cancelled Persia to wait until a likely victor would be decided, then to back either side. So he's a double traitor. However, the last chapter of it is is thoroughly interesting and deceitful existence he was then allowed to return to Athens as he was a skilled military tactician and his expertise was needed in the war they just let him back in with they like they gave him a slap on the wrist and be like don't do that again basically he then led the Athenian navy to compete to defeat the combined Spartan and Persian army at the battle of Chysicus in spring 410 BC 
interestingly. Another important figure in the Peloponnesian War is Lysander. He was a commander of Sparta who rose to prominence after many successful victories, such as the Battle of Aegospotami in 405 BC. Why do you think the Peloponnesian War ended? Um, they either started to talk or someone bigger and meaner was coming for them all. I mean, the Persians were coming for them all, basically, through this entire period. Yeah. Think about season one of I Don't Know History. Think about the the, the Hundred Years' War and Henry VIII's wars. Why do they always just stop? Um, disease. Okay, another... Am I getting cause. closer? Yes, I mean, you're, oh, you're remembering did, something to do with season one, which is good, but... Um, did, like... A natural disaster get in the way? No, it's much more, much more boring away. than that, unfortunately. Oh, did someone die? No. And that, or was someone born? Athens <laughs> ran out of money. Oh, that's so boring. I know, but it happens so many times. I, oh. I remember saying it in season one so much, like, oh, well, this person ran out of money, so... Yeah, I remember now during the whole... Athens... Because, like, didn't... Germany, well, Britain ran out of money after World War Two mm-hmm. as well. Germany ran out of money after World War One because they had to pay a but bunch of stuff. In the Middle Ages and stuff, people would just stop warring because they'd run out of money and they'd be yeah. like, ah, war's over. I can't. Can we have a ceasefire? And the French would just be like, we're kind of out of money as well. So, yeah, okay. And then it's like, get as much money as possible. Now Let's another go war. Again. It's like going to the arcade, playing Mortal Kombat 2, and then just being like... Oh, running running back to oh, your mum to get more money. Like, I'll be right back. i got to get... Uh, Man! So Athens ran out of money in 404, error not found, and sued for peace. Sorry? <laughs> 404 BC. But I just read... I've, every time I wrote 404, I was like, error not found. Oh, okay. You know how PCs you get? All I heard then was 404 PCs. And I was like, did he just say four for penis? 44 pizzas. <laughs> Athens, ran, Athens ran out of money in 404 BC yeah. and sued for peace. Okay. Uh, characteristically, Sparta's peace declaration was strict and stern. Yeah. Athens had to tear down its city walls. That was the first condition. Athens had to, had to um, get rid of her fleet. She had to give up all of her overseas possessions. And they had to abolish democracy, <laughs> and put and they had to put in place an oligarchy known as the Thirty Tyrants. They what? were installed to govern Athens in place of their former democracy. There are they certain were, words that have never Spartan been friendly. like you're gonna last or people are gonna like you, mm-hmm. and that is empire. Yeah, and tyrant. Well, the Ottoman Empire lasted for a long time. Yeah, well, they were five hundred years. How great were they? Were they friendly? Were they? Appreciative of uh, people. I mean, we fought against them in World War One, so not great. Yeah, and also, well, the British Empire wasn't exactly great. No, the British Empire wasn't good, no. No. The, uh, the uh, Empire in Star Wars. It's very good. What about the Federation? It's, it's all about naming. It's all about na- nomenclature. Federation's right? a bad one as well. No, not so much. You've got to call yourself... If you start... It's marketing. Those people in, those people in Star Wars didn't do well. If you... It's why it's if you like, do a bit of clever marketing, basically in Star Trek, right? They call themselves the Galactic Federation. Everyone likes them. There's uh, like just corporations, like mm-hmm. now, like no one trusts a corporation, but it's like, let's take for instance, the Nintendo Corporation. Obviously, Nintendo's Nintendo, but the Pokemon Company seems a lot more friendly. Game Freak. Game Freak. No one uses like. 
company in their companies anymore. It's like, this is our name. We are family, apparently. Um, it's just... You, it's, it's company and corporation and federation, they're just unfriendly things. What would you call it? The Nintendo Club? Well, it's just Nintendo now. The Nintendo they don't Club. really use Nintendo Corporation. Um, if, you, if you're a fan of video games, you might want to subscribe to this podcast or be prepared for our next episode. Hint, hint. I think this is a good time to remind our viewers, our viewers, listeners. Sorry. Yes. Remind our listeners that I Don't Know History is brought to you by podmage.com. A different, a different kind, kind of, casting. of casting. This episode is sponsored by roganbar.com. If you are a fan of playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, then you might want to get yourself a character booklet from roganbar.com. It is an A5 small little character booklet which will save space at the table. It's made out of high quality paper. Uh, it's got a bunch of amazing reviews on the website right now. It is $8.99 normally. And there are bundle packs available on the site as well. So you can just save some dollar uh, for your whole party. Save that gold for when you need to get that armor. I have one. It is. Very nice. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really useful. Get, was really it, nice. is, is, the one, is the one I have, is that like a prototype? Uh, that is a prototype okay. version that you cool. have. Uh, well, there is a I'll new give one it out. a review now. It's excellent. <laughs> it's not, well, I like... How many times have you played Dungeons and Dragons? You've got this great. You've got so many like because you're not just you have if you play Dungeons and Dragons properly, right? You've got a big book for notes and stuff, and yeah. then you've got like your dice and you've got your dice tray, and then you, you don't want another great big A4 piece of paper. Yeah, you just want a nice little Myth- compact kind of thing, and that's exactly what it is. And when I write notes, I normally have an A5 book on me anyway because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I don't want something massive to carry around with mm-hmm. me. So an A5 character booklet allows you to just make your little notes uh on on, on your page you you can track your npcs in this book as well mm-hmm. there's different extras so instead of having to have your dark vision within the extras or like features of your sheets you actually have a section where you can see dark vision and know exactly where, where, where you're going as well as notes for your running your swimming uh your flying uh so there are easy shortcuts for you to use and know exactly where everything goes just to make your D&D experience a lot easier. Also, for the prospective uh, dungeon master, you just have all your characters' character sheets in there. Easy. Don't have to ask them questions no more. <laughs> Don't have to be like, oh, what's your armor class? You know, it's in there. Sorted. It's in there! <laughs> there we are. This episode was brought to you by roganbar.com. And podmage.com. A, a different, different kind, kind of casting. casting. So, where were we? We were in Greece. We were... Uh, the money ran out. The Peloponnesian War. Yes, the money ran out. Sparta's victory, essentially, in the Peloponnesian War. Which led to a Spartan hegemony. Yes. Remember that, what, remember yes, that word, hegemony? Yes, it is essentially... Like, if te- like, your example was if Texas owned a bunch of states and was ahead of it, but weren't really a part of it, it is... Texas hegemony. That was your discussion of it. That is correct. Yay! There are multiple hegemonies in the next few years. I don't want to go into, well, next century. Is Hong Kong, then, a hegemony? Hong Kong's not a hegemony. Hong Kong's a part of China. Well, it's also not a part of China, though, because it has its own laws and rules separate to China. Okay, so... I know this is... I'm only bringing this up now because it was in the news. Hong Kong and Macau are are both 
part of China. Yes. But they're the... So CGP Grey, who is uh, an idol of mine... Yes, you brought him up th- three different occasions CGP's, on this podcast. CGP Grey is great. So um, he calls Hong Kong the most country-like country that isn't a country. Yeah. Because... That's how I view it as well. You've got to show your passport to go to Hong Kong from China. Yes. Uh, Chinese people can't live and work in Hong Kong for free without a visa, but Hong Kongians can in China. Um, until 1999, it was part of Britain, obviously. Um same in Macau. So if you wanted to go from Macau to Hong Kong to China and back to Macau, you'd have to have three passport checks. Okay. Despite the fact that everyone is Chinese. Um, it's more like... Because in 1999, there was... Um, when Britain handed China um, Hong Kong back to China, they said, you've, look, you've got, Hong Kong's already got this whole thing going. You've got to leave her alone. And China goes, yeah, okay, we will. So Hong Kong's kind of independent. It's like an independent city-state within China, but it's not independent. So it's closer to the relationship that's, despite being actually part of China, it has closer to the relationship that Singapore has with the rest of Malaysia. Yeah. Okay. I just thought it'd be interesting to see if there was a comparison there, but no, but I also learned something else. Unfortunately not, no. That's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, Yes. Hegemonies. The first hegemony, as you can guess, was a Spartan hegemony. Yes. Hegemony. Hegemony. So Sparta formed an empire after essentially conquering Athens. They didn't quite, but they did. They did their best to destroy Athenian wealth by um, banning coinage in Athens as well, just like they did in their own state with silly iron ingots and all that kind of nonsense. They also... fought with Persia multiple times as well. But when they weren't fighting with Persia, Persia played both sides, as they did before. In peacetime, Persia supported Sparta's navy while secretly funding Athens, who rebuilt their walls and reconstructed their fleet with the Persian subsidies. They had wars with Corinth and Thebes in 394, but then Corinth drew support from Argos and Athens as well. So the Spartans decided to do a lie with Persia. I just find it funny when it's you say Argos. Because it's like, they're going to Argos. It's just like, I really hope they get a nice rug. That's <laughs> <laughs> Ikea, surely. What else you can get? Rugs from Argos. Argos is the cheap man's Ikea. Ikea is, Ikea is one of two things. Super cheap or real or expensive. Market. Yeah. yeah. I get so. nice kitchen utensils from Ikea for a quid. Yeah, that's the they thing. They but if you want knives, forks, and spoons from IKEA, you're paying twenty-five pound for a set of four of each. Obviously, each single one in one go. But at the same time, I'm not spending that. I'm gonna to go to Wilco's or Argos and buy one of their packs for a fiver. I'd pay twenty-five quid for some nice forks. If they're, they're super forks. nice, but I'm not paying for IKEA stuff. Oh, fair enough. Yes. So Corinth drew support from Argos and Athens. So the Spartans had to ally with Persia, the old enemy. Mm-hmm. Which is odd. The Corinthian War ended with a treaty written by the Emperor of Persia, Ar- Artaxerxes. It's a weird name. The second, Xerxes is his son, okay. which broke up all leagues in Greece. You remember we had the Delian League and the Peloponnesian League? Mm-hmm. They're gone. Bye bye. And he also banned all new ones. <laughs> but it was he didn't really write the treaty, he brokered the treaty between Sparta and the rest of them as sort of an independent arbitrator, but not really independent. (laughs) So that granted independence to all city-states, but it was also, if you think about it, very advantageous to Persia itself. Because obviously it forbade any alliances and federations. 
if he ever wants to invade, it's like, oh, all these weak little independent city-states not getting involved in each other's business. Yeah. So, Sparta, now with no alliances against it to contend with, seized the city of of Thebes, which is where Hercules goes in Hercules with Phil to fight the Hydra. I don't think we said that in the podcast, did we? No. I don't recognise it, but I don't recognise a lot. We may have, I've definitely said that at some point today. If you've seen Disney's Hercules, that's where Hercules goes, where he fights the Hydra. Heaps. Yeah, you said that earlier. Sorry, yeah. I did say that during the podcast. Yes. Oh, well. Because it was at the bit where I was just like, why do I not recognize this? Why Why didn't I recognize that? Well, RJ forgot something, so take a drink. Take a drink. <laughs> but I remembered, so take another drink. They also attempted to seize a, a port city called Piraeus which prompted Thebes and Athens to attack Sparta and win. So they've, they've beaten back the Spartans now. So at this point, new leagues began to form. The Bo- Boeotian, Boeotian League. The Thebes began to win many battles against Sparta, such as t- the Battle of Tegira in 375 BC. Theban power grew so much in this time that Athens became wary of it. So they formed a second Athenian League. <laughs> Um, Thebes began to meddle in its neighbours' affairs, such as Phocis and Plataea. In fact, they raised the city of Plataea in 375 BC. Plataea was a long-standing ally of Athens. In fact, they fought with them in... I can't remember where it was, but it was definitely... Might have been the Battle of Marathon, in fact. There we are. I think it was the Battle of Marathon. A thousand Plataeans fought with the group, fought with the Athenians in the Battle of, Battle of Marathon. So, <laughs> this complex web of intrigue continues. The Thebans destroyed Plataea, so Athens signed an alliance with Sparta. Yes. Who only, you know, tw- 20 years prior they'd been warring with in the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> and who'd allied with Persia, and it's kind of weird backstabbing. Then came the Battle of Leuctra, which Thebes versus Sparta. And Thebes won a resounding victory despite being outnumbered. Yes. And ended, essentially... It was a, a, a watershed moment in Greek history because it ended a long history of Spartan military prestige and kind of ended the Spartan hegemony. So Sparta are like, done. They're defeated. Kind of, they roll off a little bit. And then came, what do you think? What Which hegemony would, would have come? The Theban hegemony? Yes. No. Uh, oddly, Argos? Oddly, Argos? No, they, ne- they didn't really have one. <sighs> oddly, the Athenian hegemony. Oh. Athens, who were kind of, eh, not really doing anything. So the new Athenian League was a response to a real and present need, that of combined military forces against the might of Sparta. But obviously, in 371, Sparta fell in the battle at the Battle of Leuctra against Thebes. So they didn't really need it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Also, uh, rather than how it had previously been, with, previously been with the Delian League, rather than pay money directly to Athens, so she can basically. That's like that. That's how the leagues worked. You taxed the biggest one, or the the biggest city got the tax from you. Rather than pay it directly to Athens, so she can distribute it as she likes, it was paid directly to Athenian generals. And what do you think they did? If you give men money, they spend do... it on war. Well, not necessarily, but they they extorted. Oh, that I just I was expecting the money goes on the war again. No, well they extorted more money from people, and they just kind of spent it. How they wanted. <sighs> they lived lives of excess while people were paying them these exorbitant taxes. Fun times. So, Athens had suffered in the late fifth and fifth and early cent- uh, the late fifth and early fourth centuries BC. 
So they didn't really have the funds to maintain this alliance anymore. Particularly because these generals were just pissing it up the wall. Which inevitably led to a two-year war in 357 to 355 BC between Athens and its former allies. Now guess who gets involved again? The Persians. They sent an ultimatum to Athens, which essentially was uh, recognize your allies' independence or get fucked on. (laughs) (laughs) Or we'll come in with like a million ships and bomb the shit out of your city or something like that. So they had no choice but to dissolve the League and essentially end, end its own hegemony. Now, the third and final hegemony that we're going to talk about is the Theban hegemony, finally. So the Theban hegemony was kind of rubbish, to be honest with you. It was weak and divided, and to be honest, from what I've read, the idea of a hegemony was quite quite quickly becoming outdated. Yeah. No one wanted it anymore. Especially with Persia's influence keeping the Greek city-states weak and independent. Um, Thebes reformed their own league, the Boeotian League, um, destroyed the pro-Spartan oligarchs Has and the human them, league come into it that's later on <laughs> and replaced them with democracies um, they rebuilt Messene I don't know if you remember me talking about Messene that was literally in part one that was a city that was destroyed by Sparta just because they could basically that got rebuilt but um, as you would the old powers were wary of this new power, Athens and Sparta. So they sent delegates to the Emperor of Persia once again, um, and they they sought to get him to declare Greek independence once again, as he had done 20 years prior, and dissolve all these alliances. But seeing that Theban hegemony was in his best interest, he just said no. He sent them away. After fighting between Thebes and Athens at Mantinea, and after the the losses they suffered, Thebes uh, just abandoned the policy of intervention in the Peloponnese Peninsula just went, I don't want this anymore. They gave up. They, they gave up their own hegemony as well. As I said, because it seems like the idea of hegemony was becoming very outdated. Uh, according to Xenophon, which sounds like a, a percussive instrument to me. <laughs> yeah, there's two things I took that as. Xenophon or xenophobe. And it was like... I was like Maybe, did he hate foreigners? <laughs> I need to look this up. Maybe Xenophon hated foreigners, and that's why he was called xenophobic. <laughs> Ooh, I, need to, I need to find this out. <laughs> uh, and according to Xenophon, the Greek history ends in 362 BC, as there was no one city-state that had the resources or power to exert dominance over Greece, and no polis or city-state had the strength to be a power in Asia Minor. Asia Minor being Turkey... Uh, Persia and that kind of stuff. And also, Persian often intervened in Greek affairs, and this this kind of cycle of we're having a war, one side's getting powerful, oh, Persia, please come and help us, and then sorting it out. It seemed to be set to continue forever, because <laughs> no one city-state could get enough power, and once they did, everyone else went, you have too much power now. So they invaded, and then everything went to shit. And I don't know if you noticed in the last like sort of twenty minutes of, of this podcast, I was basically talking to you about how all the Greek city states basically the whole the whole idea was to just fuck with each other. Yeah, it was like fuck it, let's let's have a war. Oh, Sparta, you did that thing before. I'm going to go lie with Thebes. Oh, but Thebes, I'm not sure about you. I'm going to go lie with the Persians. Oh fuck, the Persians are coming. Sparta, come back. We can be friends again. Sparta's it's just, high school. It's high school. That's kind of yeah. So that was until 359 BC yes when Philip II of Macedonia rose to the throne father of Alexander the Great my other namesake and began to foster a desire to expand into the Greek peninsula dun, dun, dun. 
So though classical Greece is seen to have ended in uh, 323 BC after Alexander's death, in truth, it kind of culture became more Greek Macedonian yeah. than traditional Greek, as it dominated what was known as Hellenistic Greece, finally uniting the city-states under Macedonian and later Roman rule. Ooh. But that's a subject for another episode. Yeah. Fun. How do you feel about cla- uh, classical Greece, RJ? Um, I enjoyed that a lot. Good, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, once again, like season two is is dipping its toes into not our history, yeah. essentially, and not uh, recent history as well. And not so much death and war either. There was a lot of death and war, but I didn't. I didn't want to focus on the Peloponnesian War so much because that felt again, a lot warmer in that because it's Greece. Whereas whenever we were talking about anything British, I'm like, <laughs> it's raining. Like, oh, I bet it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like it's raining constantly yeah. in our history. Like the Peloponnesian War could be a, could could be a topic all by itself as well. Yeah. As could, you know, Spart- Spartan hegemony and the Spartan kings and the Persian invasion of Greece in 490 and 480 BC. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> I didn't want to get too far into it, but I did enjoy researching ancient Greece. It's really interesting to see. Yeah, it did seem like you were having a lot of fun because you nearly made it three episodes long. Yes, but that is which I had to reel you in. That is for. too long. That is too long. And uh, if we do do a third episode focusing on Alexander the Great and Helen's degrees, it won't be for a while. I need to give myself subscribe and get ready for season three at some point. Get, at some point, I need to give myself and and the listeners a bit of a break yeah. from me butchering Greek words. Maybe we'll do something to do with England again and I can say all the words. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't decided well, what next, what next, uh, next episode the is going to be, be exciting. Why is that, RJ? Because you'll find out next next time. Well, you'll I find know. out in two I weeks. Know. You know. You'll find out in two weeks' time. No, you should let them. You should tell them what's going to happen. Uh, so the interested. next episode is going to be about video games. I'm not going to tell you exactly what. And I'm hosting RJ, get ready the, the for an exciting episode I've met. of cup of history cup of history no it's i don't know history thank you very much for listening to this episode do you want to outro thank you very much for listening to this episode of i don't know history um you throw me off I just want to remind you one final time that I Don't Know History is brought to you by Podmage.com. Follow us on at Podmage on Instagram and Twitter. And Twitter. Pinterest? No. Google Plus? Not anymore. Facebook? Uh, No. Actually, Podmage is on Facebook. And also, I just want to remind you as well that this episode of I Don't Know History was sponsored by Rogan Bard. Yes. If you play D&D and want to save yourself some space at the table while making notes, have more space to roll your dice. Get yourself a Rogan Bard A5 character booklet. And with our special offer, you but, can get <laughs> you can get a Rogan Bard booklet for 100% of the price. Yes. If you want, I can put a little note in it that said, brought to you by I Don't Know History. Oh, can, can, if, as long as you make me aware. If I buy one, can you do that? <laughs> I'll sign it if you want. But I'll then s- I need to sign it myself because I'm I'm, import- I'm quite an important part of I Don't Know History. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think You're I'm, the host! I think I'm quite an important part of I Don't Know History, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.